the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Good morning, Gloria America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. Hugh Hewitt. I'm in Florida at the Alliance Defending Freedom gathering of lawyers and con law professors and media people and communicators talking with them, translating law to uh, media. But another person who does that is a very old friend of mine. I think very old friend because Judge Ken Starr, who is sitting across from me in our studio, is the author of a brand new book, Religious Liberty in Crisis. I don't want to tell you how long I've known Judge Starr. When I was a young clerk in 1983 working for George McKinnon and, and uh, Roger Robb on the D.C. Circuit, I saw a guy in the hallway and I thought he was another clerk. He was, in fact, a judge on the D.C. Circuit because <laughs> Ken Starr had been named uh, about a year before I got there. What year did you join the D.C. Circuit, Judge Starr? Exactly. October of 1983. And uh, they were very reluctant to let me use the judge's elevator. It was remarkable uh, <laughs> wandering around. And this happened to me yesterday with John Bush of the ADF. I, he says he's 49, but I think he's actually 25. And so I've <laughs> lost the ability to judge age whatsoever. Uh, it's good to see you, Judge Starr. Welcome back. It's good oh, to see you thank again. you. Thank you. Such a uh, pleasure to be with you. Brand new book, Religious Liberty in Crisis. I want to talk about it. I want to talk about what you're doing uh, at the Lanier Firm. I want to find out what you are up to. But I, first of all, I want to know, look, you, you helmed Baylor so well, but you never really could compete with Ohio State football. And, <laughs> and one of the people who's listening is Urban Meyer. Coach Meyer is a big friend of the show and, and listens every day. Are you still, is your heart with the Bears every time they take the I'm field? I'm afraid it is. And don't you love our national championship basketball well, team? Good for you. Good for you. Switch the subject <laughs> but over. But go, you know Buckeyes. What? I will be in Columbus, Lord willing, at the end of this uh, very month. Oh, and so, so what's going to take you to the land that God opened up to the revolution? A wedding of two Baylor Bears. Oh, well, okay. So they they're moving it. north? I'm sorry to hear that. I'm <laughs> the sorry. The bride to... is from Columbus. The groom is from Chicago. And I, I hope they stay there. Right. Uh, Judge, you're practicing. <laughs> with the Lanier firm, and you told me before, I said, you're a plaintiff's lawyer now. What the heck happened to Judge Starr? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, we're to seek justice. Yeah, okay, Remember the love kindness, call. seek justice, yeah. and walk humbly with our Lord. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I've known Mark Lanier, the premier trial lawyer in America, since his law school days, and we have been in touch over the years. And then when Baylor, I recruited two of his uh, beautiful children to Baylor. And so when I was thrown off the sled at my beloved Baylor, and we still live in Waco, I love the Baylor Bears and so forth, is my friend Gordon Gee of West Virginia University, the president of West Virginia, who happens to be on the Baylor campus today. So where am I? I'm here in Florida. He says to uh, new presidents, now remember, your board loves you. Until they fire you. And, <laughs> and, 
Yeah. Well, he's a Vandy and an Ohio State alum, too, isn't he? Yeah. He's been thrown from the sled a couple of times. Well, he usually gets out of town before yeah. <laughs> Brown University, University of Colorado. And he has the magic touch because he was president of Ohio State twice. Right. Yes. And he's now president of West Virginia University. Uh, I think he's enjoying eternal life. He became president of West Virginia University in his 30s. And then when he left Ohio State and goes off to Harvard for you know, a year of recuperation and so forth, West Virginia said, come back to Morgantown. So he's president and has doing a spectacular Yeah, it's job. the hardest it's just, job in the world. It's a very hard job. My, my uh, The guy who taught me media law in 1982 at Michigan Law School is a fellow named Lee Bollinger. Oh, and yeah, he's president of Columbia. He's a survivor. Yeah. I mean, he's made more mistakes than I have, and I've been doing radio for 30 years. I mean, he had Achman <laughs> Didijad at the campus. He, he screwed up everything. But he just – the left doesn't throw people from the sled, Judge. They never throw anyone from the sled. I want to go back and ask you the key question before we go to religious liberty in crisis and, and, and back to linear. You, know, you were on the D.C. circuit, and you are on the D.C. circuit, and President H.W. asked you to be solicitor general. Do you ever wake up and say to Alice Starr, you're long serving and long, beloved. you know, I, if I'd stayed there, it'd be senior status and I'd be golfing with Dick Leon. You know, I should, <laughs> do you ever just, just say, you know, but then you'd be doing Washington summer too. Do you regret leaving the DC circuit? You know, I have many uh, foibles and failings, but uh, I managed to close chapters and, and march on. And one of my life passages is the Apostle Paul, who had a pretty rugged time of it in his later years. And I've learned to be content in all things. So I don't look. No, the answer to that is no. Uh, but when I'm asked, well, what was your favorite job? It is very. The answer is very clear, uh, very clear. Being a judge. I I'm love being a judge. I'm amazed by that. I don't know if you remember. You would come over and do swearing-in ceremonies for the senior executive service when I was the acting director of OPM. You right. would be the judge on demand from the D.C. Circuit. <laughs> and the D.C. Circuit <laughs> is the second most important court in the United States. But after a year clerking, I could never be a judge. And you've been a public man your entire life, both before as chief of staff to attorney general, the much-beloved late Bill Smith, and after as independent counsel and president of Baylor and a su successful trial advocate and solicitor general. You've done all this stuff. Being a judge is a quiet <laughs> and a boring life. <laughs> Hugh, for me, it was just, it was the life of the mind. But it, above all, it was seeking uh, justice. Uh, I realize, Holmes, that you're a creature of the law. You're to follow the law, even if you think it's an unjust result. And I totally agree with that theory of judging. But that's part of our justice system. Right. You are there as an instrument of justice. And as much as I love advocacy, and I do, I love arguing cases and so forth. There's something very morally fulfilling about, as Judge Ripple of the Seventh Circuit would say, you're just trying to do the right thing and to do it in the right way. We can talk about what does right mean in an age of relativism. To me, it is being a true servant of the law that the law demands respect and the record demands respect. And I'm, of course, talking about it from an appellate perspective, more so than from a Mount Olympian Supreme Court perspective. Would you go back and, you know, Parham Williams came out of retirement to rescue oh, Chapman Law School when we needed Dean him. Williams. Oh, everybody oh, loves Parham. And yeah. Polly, 
Uh, it's oh. like, like Ken and Alice are like Parm and Polly, and, and that's a little inside <laughs> law school baseball. Would you ever go back and dean a law school again? I don't think so now because I am quite liberated. Uh, let freedom ring in the sweet land of uh, liberty. And so I enjoy the flexibility of not having those institutional responsibilities. I do not miss the meetings. Oh, my gosh. Right? Academia is filled, rightly so, with meetings. It should be a deliberative process. The president or the dean should not be sitting in the office and just issuing commands. But to the contrary, needs the university should be a conversation. And by the way, that's a problem these days, right? The universities are saying, well, maybe we don't want to have a conversation or we don't want certain people at the table for the conversation, which is apostasy and very damaging to the idea of a liberal and open democracy. I would relish the opportunity to be around and have debates with academic leaders about why aren't you doing what the dean of, the, of William and Mary Law School recently did when there was a pushback. I forget the specific issue, but it was essentially cancel culture type stuff or, you know, we're not so sure about this particular organization, given their values, perhaps they don't reflect an enlightened society. And so, and the dean came down in the spirit of the University of Chicago, vice president for academic affairs from a couple of years ago saying, essentially my characterization, the university is a conversation to which all persons of goodwill are invited. You know, I would, I would say to anyone listening, if you find yourself up against the wall of the speech police or the religious police, uh, find the linear firm, ask Judge Starr to be your advocate, see if you can engage him. When I see you on Fox, I wonder how you've avoided doing the Mark Levin Sunday night. You mentioned in the book that at the, uh, as COVID descended <laughs> on New York, you were in town for the firing line. Yeah. Uh, the re, uh-huh. the rejuvenated firing line. It's not the firing line of, of our youth that inspired so many people to be conservatives, but you're so good on TV. Have you thought about doing an hour a week on one of these networks just doing Ken Starr presents? You're not, you can't make firing line come back, but you've got this breadth and depth of experience that very few people, you and Bennett are probably the only two people confirmed by the Senate to positions of extraordinary authority that could do this. Thank you. My goodness. Well, I go to the mailbox every day. I'm in Waco and the invitation has not come. I certainly think at this stage of life that those of us who've been blessed to run around the circle of career and experience and just participating in uh, democratic society with a small d. It's time for us to be sharing our perspective uh, because you, you, you see the same old apostasies pop up all over again. And I'm very concerned, as I think a lot of people rightly are, about the direction of the country. Leave politics aside, just the role of the national government that we call the federal government what has happened to federalism. And I'm glad that here at this conference, Hugh, as you know, there are 10 state attorneys general, duly elected attorneys general. Tennessee appoints its attorney general. We've got a member of the Solicitor General's office here, but that's that's the uh, unicorn. That's the unusual animal. And we have other people who are senior in their respective attorneys general office. We have uh, the, uh, and maybe I shouldn't be blowing his cover. I will not name his name, but I'll just call him Brent, <laughs> who is the first deputy from the Texas uh, attorney general. 
I am delighted that around the country and most parts of the country are represented here in, by these power. But these are people who face the electors, right? They go out to the electorate and say, I want to be the attorney general of your state. They are so terrific. I've talked with virtually all of them. They're fantastic people. And guess what? They care deeply about our culture of liberty including, of course, the focus here at ADF is on religious liberty. But liberty is a bundle, right? We're focusing here on religious liberty because we've had church closings and, and, and the like. And we've talked a lot about church closings and the Fulton decision and the unanimous Supreme Court of the United States saying no to Philadelphia. You cannot do what you just did. Unanimous. So we can't have any of these arguments. Oh, this is just the conservative Supreme Court, the Senator Schumer's screaming at the court from the courthouse steps in a shameful display that should have been completely criticized at a minimum, but it should be censored. I viewed that as a totally unethical act by the then Senate Minority Leader, suffered no disapprobation of note at all. We live in this incredibly divisive and divided world where, guess what? There are sweet voices of reason. They're gathered here at this gathering in beautiful Florida, a land of freedom. And they are, we're meditating together and learning from one another. Yeah. And I've learned a ton. I've lived this stuff, as you know, Hugh, from my days. In fact, even my days clerking a long time ago for Chief Justice Berger, we had religious freedom issues. But as I do in the book, very briefly, I said that the birth of religious freedom in my lifetime came in 1981 when I was in the Reagan administration and the Supreme Court decided a case called Widmar versus Vincent, where they were struggling with the doctrine, as we say, the doctrinal basis for the decision. But they essentially said Christian club gets to meet at UMKC, University of Missouri, Kansas City, UMKC's campus, just like anyone else. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to campus. That was a breakthrough. And we've had those, and I call them breakthrough moments. Uh, Sherbert versus Werner, yeah. turning its back on poor Abraham Brownfield and the Sunday closing cases told by Chief Justice Warren, the great icon of, of liberty, of judicial power. And he's told, I'm sorry, if Pennsylvania wants to keep your shop closed on Saturdays, your day of worship, Shabbat, that's just tough. Legislatures have to make decisions. Doesn't that sound like the COVID debate we've had on church closures? It it's does. the same thing Although, all over again. I've got to say, in Religious Liberty in Crisis, we were talking before the show began, you make a very uh, valiant and successful effort to educate people on who the Yoders are, who uh, Bronfeld is, who uh, uh, Sherbert is. You do it very well so that a Thank layman you. can read this book. I want to make sure people get to it, but I've got to, I've got to remind people when they look at this. I asked a, a lawyer yesterday, one of the ADF lawyers, if you never take a victory lap, people don't know that you can win. We ought to have champagne here. I know there are a lot of Baptists, but we ought to have champagne. <laughs> I'm a Catholic. We ought to have champagne. We won. It was 9-0. Justice Breyer, Jordan, Justice Barrett's concurrence raising the five questions that will be answered favorably. And they call it the McConnell Court. They call it the Roberts Court. I want people to know. John Roberts was your protege. I want people to know Brett Kavanaugh was your protege. I don't know. You probably represented Clarence Thomas when he was EEOC director and he was your colleague at the D.C. Circuit. I don't know if you overlapped. I, I get the no, we did not you overlap. overlap but Unfortunately you, for me, I love Justice You know, Thomas. when you go up and argue, if I ever get the phone call, I actually got a phone call once about, should I keep my lawyer? We're going to the Supreme Court. 
Should I keep Myler? And I said, well, see if Paul Clement's around. You were not then in practice. You were then at Baylor. Because I would have said, see if Ken Starr or Paul Clement oh, are around. Because I don't think anyone ought to go to the Supreme Court with their lawyer from wherever. For you know, I would never go to the Supreme oh, Court. Oh, terrible mistake. Terrible mistake, right? right? You need to go to would MD you, Anderson for, right? You don't go to your chiropractor, right, if you've got a brain problem. Would you explain that to people? Because if you're going to the Supreme don't let the guy or the gal who wants to argue their first case from the Supreme Court do it. It's a terrible idea. It is an exquisite specialty. And for you, well, this is my one time ever in my 40 years of practice to go to the Supreme Court of the United States. I'm going to get a quill pen. Yep. Look, I can show you. can go to the bookstore and buy a quill pen. Don't ruin your client's case by arguing it uh, because there there is an art. There's a science. There's. It is just a very different animal. I've been privileged to argue 36 cases, but there are people. Paul Clement has argued now over 100 cases. Yeah, but Paul never had these guys working for him. That's what I always say. You know, if you get star, the chief justice was his understudy, his SG. If you get star, you've got um, uh, Kavanaugh was in the OIG with you forever. These justices, they have to kind of call you judge, don't they? No, they can then get revenge. <laughs> I don't. That's right. not true. I would hire Ken Starr tomorrow, America. Who is hiring you as a plaintiff's counsel, by the way? At Linear. Oh, by the I, way, where is Linear? How do you spell it? You're very oh. bad at promoting your law firm. Oh, but shame on me. I may get fired. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so. I, I don't want to open my mail, mailbox uh, now. No invitations to do an interview show and, and no job. Uh, Mark Lanier, America's premier trial lawyer, is based in Houston, Texas. So I have a law office uh, in Houston next door to Mark's, whom I adore. He is such a great person. By the way, he needs to be on your show because Lanier, here's one of the things about Mark Lanier. Instead of buying yachts, he's a very successful, very successful lawyer as the world measures success. He has built a massive theological library. He's very philanthropic. He's built a beautiful chapel on his property that is a very, very exact replica of a 5th century Cappadocian chapel. He has built a small little is he Catholic? Uh, no, he's an no, evangelical. No yeah, he's a, an evangelical. I'm evangelical, but I'm Catholic. Okay, you know, he, he's a champion Forest Baptist Church. Okay, there you go. He's a Baptist. And, yeah, and he doesn't no champagne. There and, he, and, he, and he doesn't drink champagne. Yeah. Uh, so, Judge, before we run out of time, we got we got nine minutes. I want to tell people about religious liberty in crisis because we we've got to say religious liberty in crisis seven times, or people won't remember religious liberty in crisis. It's the lunch rule, and so <laughs> religious liberty in crisis. You can do everything. I hope you're going to do a memoir. By the way, are you going to do a memoir? No. That's a well, mistake. Well, I shouldn't say no. Uh, not at this time. That's a mistake. I mean, then yeah. your faith gets to interweave with your law, gets to interweave with your media, with the IOC, OIC, with Baylor. So reconsider that. Uh, we'll, we'll petition for sure. But tell us about <laughs> religious liberty in crisis. We won. I tell everyone, we won. 9 0, we won. We've won. We, now, Baron L. Stutzman got screwed, and oh. I understand that. I saw her yesterday. I hugged her, and I said, you have run the race. You are the example of suffering in the name of Christ. You have done the good, right, fought the good fight, but we have won 9-0. Do you agree? Totally agree. Obviously, I would have loved in Fulton versus City of Philadelphia for the Nettleson case of Employment Division versus Smith to have been overruled. We can talk about that if there's time. But... Chief Justice John Roberts deserves an enormous debt of gratitude for, in this divided time, achieving unanimity and telling the elite culture 
you're wrong. Including, Hugh, the American Bar Association filed a friend of the court brief on behalf of the city of Philadelphia. Two sentences about these precious children, the at-risk children, the hundreds of children in Philadelphia who need loving homes, and Catholic Social Services providing these services in the city of brotherly love since 1798. Yeah. Archbishop Chaput, if you're listening, we're both grinning. 9-0. 9-0. And, and my book trumpets the fact <clears throat> that the Supreme Court much more frequently than not, and ADF has a fantastic track record in the Supreme Court of the United States, gets the right result. They vindicate the claim of religious liberty overwhelmingly in favor of freedom. And at times, as with Fulton, city of Philadelphia, but in another critically important principle, I call them the six great principles of religious liberty. And the first one I talk about, because it's so important, to all churches and parachurch organizations, synagogues, and the like, is the principle of autonomy. Caesar, keep your hands off of our institution. This is not communist China, the PRC. You don't appoint bishops and the like. But the case arose, you'd say, well, that can't arise in the United States. Thank goodness it cannot under the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. But what about Christian schools that fire a teacher who is invoking her federal civil rights? That's terribly important in our society. We want civil rights to be protected unanimously with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Part of the court said as important as the federal civil rights laws are, and they are vitally, compellingly important. There is something more important, and that's the ability of that church school to determine who teaches. The that's why I children. want pastors and that's why I want families to read religious liberty in crisis. If they're worried about the COVID shutdown, you know, General Barr came on this show during the shutdowns. He said, we're getting very close. This was before the shadow docket decisions, uh, before the Nevada decision, before uh, Justice Gorsuch's exclamation point, which you quote in religious liberty in crisis. Before all that, that you talk about in the book, Justice Barr, uh, General Barr came on the show and said, you know, we're, we're getting very close to where this shutdown it's going to violate everybody's constitutional liberty. And we didn't get there, but you raised the questions that need to be raised. I am encouraged by Fulton. I am encouraged by the shadow docket decision. I'm encouraged by your book. I just think Christians got to relax and celebrate a little bit. And every faith group that <laughs> yes. we're winning. And the, the 9-0 is a huge win. And Justice Barrett lays out questions. I want to ask you. Where do you think the standard's going to settle? Because the law always eventually settles. We've got about three minutes, Judge Starr. Where do you think the law is going to settle? I think it's going to move in the direction of just, here it is, it's strict scrutiny. So government, this is how we eventually, of course, won in the church closing cases. Of course, taking protective measures is compellingly important in light of COVID. But are you doing it in the least restrictive means? You know, it's really hard for government to do anything in the least restrictive way. And that's the way we win. So a real strict scrutiny standard. And to me, that is simply a restoration and an acknowledgement of the contribution of Justice William Brennan. Yes, Justice Bill Brennan, who convinced Chief Justice Earl Warren way back 60 years ago, Chief 
I'd love to have heard the conversation. You're wrong to sit, tell Abraham Bromfield that the state can just regulate reasonably. They've got to choose a day of rest. And okay, given our culture, it's Sunday and not Saturday. He loses. And wait a second. You get an exception. It's called the free exercise clause. And we're going to bring the same method of constitutional analysis called strict scrutiny. Government, show us that you're doing, you got a really important, yes, vitally important, but you have not demonstrated to us that you have done what you need to do in the least restrictive way. That, And the result is free exercise of religion is impacted. That was Sherbet versus Werner. And three cheers, by the way, for the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993. Remember those good old days when... Everyone agreed that religious freedom was a social good, and we need it back. And so Bill Clinton could agree with conservatives and liberals, and they sign into law the beautiful Rose Garden Ceremony in November 1993. Hallelujah. We have restored religious freedom. And what were they talking about? Sherbert versus Werner. Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, Judge Sharp, last question. I'd be shocked if you know who Boris the Bullet Dodger is. You have no idea who the, the star of Snatch is. I, 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 my education. Okay. Has well, its, you've got to watch the movie Snatch. Boris the Bullet Dodger could not be killed. And some people think that the employment division is, is, can't be killed. I think it's dead man walking. I just want to know. Yeah. I, I think it's staggering around the room waiting to yeah. fall over and Justice Scalia is actually going to clap from, from heaven and say, you know, I got it wrong. Do you agree? It's just a matter of time. I agree that it will be gone in a matter of time. I do agree with that. But in the meantime, we're living with it. You know, it's kind of a peaceful coexistence. And we are still living in freedom, even with Smith on the on the books. And Nina, I mean, there is yeah. no exemption. There is no exemption that is now constitutional because the chief got nine. Uh, some people just want to hate on the chief. I want to applaud him and say he got nine. And so last word to you, do people understand the scope of Fulton? No, and I think because it's it's so recent, I think we're, well, let's see how it's going to play out. But I think we're increasingly appreciating one pivotal fact, that the Achilles heel of the city approach in Philadelphia was that there were exceptions. The more I've talked to people at this conference, the more confident I am that policymakers, lawmakers, civil rights commissions, and so forth, just will not be able to say, oh, there's no exception whatsoever. You're going to let your power go. You're not going to hold back a little bit of power, right? And I'm fair, I'm comforted by that because that means as a practical matter, then Smith does not apply and freedom Rings. Freedom rings. Freedom rings. Judge Ken Starr, the new book is Religious Liberty in Crisis, Exercising Your Faith in an Age of Uncertainty. It's at bookstores everywhere on Amazon.com. Starr with two R's. Ken Starr, good to see you, Judge. Thank you, Hugh. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember, to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.